Come on, family, let's just begin to worship Him. Father, we love you, Lord God. Father, our hands are lifted in adoration, Lord God. Father, there's no one like you, Lord God, no one who can measure up, no one who can compare. It's all about you and you alone, God. So, Father, we pour out our praise. We give you the fruit of our lips, God. And, God, we say that you are worthy, God. There's no one like you, Abba. We love you. We love you. We love you, God. Father, even if our physical bodies are not even in the place, Lord God, God, we know what you've done for us on the cross, God. And we can testify to the fact that it's your work on the cross that has changed everything about who we are, what we do, how we think, how we see life, God. And we're grateful people in this house, God. We're grateful in this house, God. And so, Father, in a very real way, Lord, God, we're going to rely on your word today, Lord God. God, it's your word that does the work necessary to bring about the change that we're in desperate need of, God. And so, God, I'm asking you, Lord God, that, number one, that you will be glorified today, Lord God. That it's about you and you alone, that you are on the pedestal, and it's all about the shine is on you today, God. That you will be glorified, Lord God. God, I ask that your people will be edified today, Lord God. That you would speak into every situation, every circumstance, every question that they have, God. Bring the answer, Lord God, because your word is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. You be glorified. Your people be edified. And in the name of Jesus, we put the enemy on notice. And may your enemies be horrified, God. Because you're creating a dangerous people in here, Lord God. And God, you're going to use us to do amazing works, Lord God. And so we submit to you, Lord God. We cast down every principality in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for our leaders today, Lord. God, we pray restoration and peace and health, Lord God. God, we pray protection, Lord God. God, we thank you, Lord God, that as they pour out, Lord God, you do the pouring right back in, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. God, we thank you for CCC Long Island, Lord God. God, I thank you, Lord God, that you're creating a church family, Lord God, who are going to move outside of the four walls of this place, Lord God, and represent you, whether it be in their schools, on their jobs, Lord God, to family members, Lord God. God, I thank you, Lord God, for using CCC Long Island, Lord God, to be change agents, Lord God, to be ambassadors who are unashamed and unapologetic about who you are, God. Father, open our hearts today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive everything you got for us. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody in agreement say amen. Come on, say amen. Amen. Family, I... My name is Dario, and I am one of the ministers at Christian Cultural Center. I have the honor and privilege of serving you guys uh, in the Brooklyn campus. Thank you as both uh, in charge of the missions department and also have the responsibility of being uh, in charge of the young people in Brooklyn. So I pray that you kind of, you know, you pray my strength and pray wisdom and guidance over what God is doing with us. Amen? Amen. Well, family, we are here to, today where our theme is love, right? Turn to your neighbor say, neighbor say love. love. Come on, look at him and just give him a lovely hug and a lovely stare right now. <laughs> And family, as you know, our theme is 
for this year is divine providence. Everybody say divine providence. And if you know by definition of divine providence is what? Dr. Bernard has taught us, Pastor Jamal has taught us that divine providence is? But here's the thing that, that I love about, so I, you know, I, I recognize that I have the responsibility to study really hard for you guys and to make sure that what we're saying, you know, God is ordained and his, his word is amazing. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, his word is amazing. And I love this about A.W. Tozer is an old school theologian. And he says this, it's, it's, maybe it's in the form of a question and a statement as well. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, what are your thoughts about God? You can take 30 seconds and just answer your neighbor just really quickly. What are your thoughts about God? When you think about him and, you, and what he's done in your life. Maybe some of you in here don't know who God is, but I pray that by the, end of this, by the end of this service, we will introduce you to the one true God. But here's the, the one thing that, that the Lord is using as far as our leaders, as far as correcting our thinking about God, is this. Everybody say divine providence. divine providence. And we know this by definition that divine providence is what? God, God guiding, providing for, and, and what? And sustaining his own creation by three ways, by his and his and his God, I God guiding God I, God. I don't know about you, but I thank God that he allows us not to walk in the culture naively, but he desires to navigate. If I say navigate, amen. And I love things of the fact that, that God looks out for us, that he, he provides for us. Every single one of our needs, God has said that he provides. And then not just that, but as we plug into who he is, he sustains us. I don't know about you, but even through the hard times of my life, the struggles and the situations and circumstances that come knocking at its door, God, I thank you that you sustain me. Is anybody grateful that God sustains you through some of the most difficult situations? And he does it by three ways. He does it by his wisdom. Turn to your neighbor say, neighbor, thank God that he's smarter than you. I need to plug into the smartness of God. I think I know it all, but really I am ignorant. Turn to your neighbor say, neighbor, ignorance can't kill. What you don't know has the potential to do disarming and, dis and dismantle everything. But God, thank you for your wisdom, your power. And God is good. He is benevolent. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, he is good to you. I want to show you a, a piece of artwork right now. If you can go to that artwork that says Alpha and Omega. Just take a look at that. This is done by a man by the name of Scott Eric Dickinson. And then I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It speaks of Revelation 22, 10 to 13. You can go there on your own. But it speaks of Jesus as being the Alpha and the Omega. And if you look very closely in the palm of the Alpha and the Omega, there is that ship. And I believe that ship represents us in the midst of storms. Uh, here's the thing. Tony Evans writes this about the Alpha and Omega. And I need you to get this. The Alpha and the Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet, just as A and Z are the first and last letters in the English alphabet. Embedded in between the beginning and the end, we find every letter one could ever need. You got to hear this. 
Those letters arranged and rearranged make complete words, and those words are enough to fill a dictionary. Listen, family, just as the alphabet is arranged to create a multiplicity of complete words in a dictionary, Jesus as the alpha and the omega can completely meet the needs of every situation that you face. Uh, being attached to the Alpha and Omega means our lives on this earth are covered because he is sufficient. Somebody say sufficient. This is true even when circumstances seem out of order and even out of control. God, as the author and finisher of our faith, will bring us to the finish line as we stay focused on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, family, the Alpha and the Omega provides everything we need to get from ever we need from wherever we are to wherever we need to go. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I love it. To, I love to think of the fact that you go to that next slide, that out of God's divine alphabet, there are moments that I need some peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Peace is an inner confidence that things are not running wild. Regardless of the circumstances, peace is the resting in the wisdom of the one who holds all your what-ifs and if-onlys in his hands. Somebody say peace. peace. God, I thank you that in his divine alphabet that God will pull out the word J-O-Y. Somebody say joy. joy. Joy is a deep kind of rejoicing because it rests in the assurance that God has everything in control. Joy, a deep kind of rejoicing. Everybody say peace. peace. Somebody say joy. joy. And I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life that I need God to pull out the next four letters of his alphabet. H-O-P-E. Everybody say hope. hope. Turn your neighbor say neighbor hope. hope. Hope is this family. Listen. Sorry. <laughs> hope is a deep trust that there is always more to see beyond my current circumstances. Let me say that again. Hope is a deep trust that there is always more to see beyond my current circumstances. Peace, joy, hope. And then it leads us into our theme for this month. Everybody say love. Come on, somebody say love. Go to that next slide, please. Love, let me just read what I got to you. Love is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied words in our vocabulary. Love is so fluid that it can apply to your favorite ice cream flavor, or in the next sentence, refer to the feelings we have for another human being. It's crazy that psychology tells us that the act of receiving or not receiving love can either make or break a person. Love can make or break a person emotionally, spiritually. Love can propel us toward greatness or the lack of it limit us in our capacity to find fulfillment, satisfaction, and purpose. Our scripture reference for today, next slide, is found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Let me give you some history as far as 1 John is concerned. In his first epistle, please listen. 
The Apostle John presents a simple, uncomplicated worldview of right and wrong. Light versus dark, truth versus falsehood, righteousness versus sin, the love of the Father versus the love of the world, the Spirit of God versus the Spirit of the world. In his own way, John, everybody say John. John redraws lines that have begun to fade in the minds of the culture of his current day. They were beginning to compromise. However, John's hard stand for truth doesn't neglect love. Somebody say love. love. See, listen, family, love for God and love for one another is a major theme throughout the first John. His first epistle teaches us that while it's important to recognize the lines between truth and error, it must always be done in the spirit of love. Family, I don't know about you, but when I get into those difficult conversations, I always want to kind of get my point across. And there are moments, and if I'm very honest with you, there are moments that I forget to be loving. I just want to let it be known what I'm thinking, and then boom, take that. And there are moments that I just want to have a mic drop moment, say what I got to say, cacao, and then break out. But truth must be spoken in love. Everybody say love. love. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Let me read it out loud as you read it silently. Dear friends, let us continue to what? Love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not, sorry, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is, verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have what, family? Eternal life through, verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a what, family? Sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God does what, family? Lives in us. And his love is brought to what, fam? Full expression in us. First three points is this. Go to this next slide. Point number one when it talks about love. Love is not an optional virtue for the believer. If I can be very honest with you, I did not grow up in a home with a mom or a dad. My mom suffered from schizophrenia most of my you know, childhood, and she would disappear for months, weeks on time. And I grew up with my grandfather. My grandfather didn't say the word love, but he showed it. He showed it in very hard ways. And so if I'm honest with you, just studying about this subject just kind of broke my heart even more and just more in a way that he can say, you know what, God, you know, you know Daryl, you need to understand what love is. I think I know what it is. But I, if I'm, this, this week was just tough studying about this. But these are some truths that kind of got at my heart. So point number one, love, love is not optional virtue for the believer. 
What do I mean by that? I'm glad you asked. It is to be love, meaning is to be the distinguishing mark of the church. John goes so far as to say that if you do not love others, you do not know So we all need to examine our lives by this supreme standard. How are we loving each, how well are we loving each other in this house today? Point number two, love is the inevitable result of being born of God. It is not the automatic Automatic result. What do you mean by that, Dario? Well, check this out. John states in verse 7, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Family, listen. The implication is that the life of God imparted to us in the new birth manifests itself in love for others. Family, if we are children of the one whose very nature is love, then we will be like our father. But at the same time, John commands in verse 11, beloved, if God so loves us, we we also ought to love one another. Family, listen. It is not automatic or without effort. It takes work to love. And there's always room for growth in love. Point number three, love is not opposed to truth. Point number one, love is not optional virtue for the believer. Point number two, love is the inevitable result of being born of God. It is not the automatic result. Number three, love is not opposed to the truth. What do you mean by that, Dario? John has spent six verses starting at the beginning of chapter four, verse one, and he says, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He did not say, let us just set aside those points of doctrine where we disagree and come together, where we do agree, loving those who differ on these matters. But because these men, listen, in the beginning of chapter one, of the beginning, at the beginning of this chapter in verse one, there are certain individuals who denied essential truths about who Jesus Christ was. And John calls them out. He even goes to the green calling them false prophets whose teaching was of the Antichrist. He was going in on these guys. And he simply was saying, but he did it in such a way that love does not mean that we set aside the truth for the sake of unity. Some hard truths right here. There are essential doctrines that we need to stand firm on. Let me give you one of them. Jesus is Lord, period. No one can compare to who he is. No one can measure up to who he is. Folks will try. People have tried throughout history. But Jesus is God. Incarnated. And that is our truth. That's what we believe and stand firmly on. Compare him to everyone else, everyone else fades away. Love is not opposed to the truth. Fourth principle, go to that next slide. 
God, everybody say God. God. God is the source of genuine love because it comes from his very nature. Everybody say nature. It comes from his very nature. I hope you guys are writing this down. See, the thing in 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to challenge you even this week to read 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7, and go all the way to chapter 5 and end at verse 3. Because here's the thing about this God kind of love, the agape kind of love. Everybody say agape. See, the thing is, family, in the culture, here's the thing. We can accept the eros, which is the sexual love. We can even accept the phileo, which is the, the kind of brotherly type of love. But the thing is, all loves kind of fall, have to fall under the one standard. And that standard is God's kind of love, the agape kind of love. See, the word agape appears over 30 times throughout this portion of scripture. Some have even said that John is the expert on the subject. In our culture, listen, family, love is too often, often understood in selfish and sexual terms. The word of God paints a completely different picture. When you hear about the agape type of love, you, the words that actually pop out to you is sacrificial. Somebody say sacrificial. In other words, another, another way, another word that should pop out to you is supernatural. <laughs> Sacrificial, supernatural, God's kind of love. Listen, family, ultimately, love comes from God and is seen most clearly in the death of Jesus on the cross as he takes on himself the sins of the world. Now, let's be clear. Now, here's the sad truth. I'm afraid to say this because I don't want no tomatoes being thrown at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> we need to be very clear. We're not saying that lost people, non-Christians cannot love. Sadly, it is non-believers that can love better than some Christians do. Never forget that all persons are made in the image of God. All persons, in spite of their sinfulness, will give reflections of the one whose image they bear. God's grace and his goodness is shared in some measure with the whole of creation. But here's the truth. Christian, you need to hear this. Theologian Howard Marshall says this. Human love, however noble and however highly motivated it is, falls short because it refuses to include the Father and the Son as the supreme objects of its affections. Such love, unfortunately, fails to honor the greatest love commandment of all, the command to love God with all of who you are, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Point number four, God is the source of what, family? Is of the what, fam? Of? Because it comes from his very... And point number five, loving others gives evidence we have been born of God and that we know God. With tender affection, once again, listen, family, John simply says to his spiritual children, love one another a statement he will repeat twice in his passage. 
One theologian says, in verse 7, that statement occurs as an, ex- as an exhortation. In verse 11, is a statement of duty for the believer. And then in verse 12, it is as a, a hypothesis, meaning, why are we to love one another? Because love is from God. Real love, you got to hear this, real love, true love, always has its source in God. And whoever loves with the God kind of love gives evidence that they have been born of God and that they know God. God is the source of genuine love because it comes from his very nature. Loving other gives evidence we have been born of God and that we know God. And let me read to you this passage from this book called The New Birth Produces Love. And it says this, please hear me. Love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light and fire gives heat because it is heat. So John's point of view is that the new birth This aspect of divine nature becomes part of who you are. The new birth is the imparting of his divine life to you. An indispensable part of that life is love. God's nature is love. And the new birth, that nature comes, becomes a part of who you are. Family, when you are born of God, God himself is imparted to you. He dwells in you. And he sheds abroad in your heart is love. And his aim is that love be perfected in you. This is where it gets tough right now. Because when you look at this definition of love, we've learned that love is what? The ability to give at the expense of self. But here's a definition of love that I, did, I hope it rocks you this week. And this definition is this. Love is what? Willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. I find it hard to love my enemies. And I'm a minister. (laughs) There are certain people, I'll be honest with you, that I would just love to trip and then break out. (laughs) Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require what? or that the person being loved when I read this I was like Lord you're tripping but theologian Paul Tripp one of my favorite theologians this is his definition of love let me explain it to you Everybody say love is willing. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, love is willing. Listen, Jesus said this. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The decisions, words, and actions of love always grow in the soil of a willing heart. You cannot force a person to love. If you are forcing someone to love, by the very nature of the act, you are demonstrating that that person does not, in fact, love. Love is willing. Let's take it a little bit more further. Love is what? Willing sacrifice. There is no such thing as love without sacrifice. Love calls you beyond the borders of your own wants, needs, and feelings. Love calls you to be willing to invest time, energy, money, and resources and gifts for the good of another. Love calls you to lay down your life in ways that are concrete and very specific. Love calls you to serve, to wait, to give, to suffer, to forgive, and to do all these things again and again. Love calls you to be silent when you want to speak. And to speak when you would like to be silent. Love calls you to act when you would really like to wait and to wait when you would really like to. Love calls you to stop when you really want to continue. And it calls you to continue when you feel like Love again and again calls you away from your instincts and away from even your own comforts. Love always requires personal sacrifice. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, love is willing sacrifice for the good of another. Family, listen. Love always has the good of another in view. Love is motivated by the interests and needs of others. Love is excited at the prospects, check this out, of alleviating burdens and meeting needs. Love feels poor when the loved one is poor. Love suffers when the loved one suffers. Love wants the best for the loved one and works to deliver it. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Look at the screen. That does not require reciprocation. The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. If he had waited until we were able to reciprocate, there would be no hope for us. Love isn't you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Love isn't placing people in our debt and waiting for them to pay off their debt. Love isn't a negotiation for mutual good. Real love does not demand reciprocation because real love isn't motivated by the return on the investment. No real love is motivated by the good that will result in the life Real love, sorry, real love is motivated by the good that will result in the life of the person being loved. Look at the screen. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another.
that does not require what family? Or that the person being loved Christ was willing to go to the cross and carry our sin precisely because there was nothing that we could do. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn, achieve, or deserve the love of God. And if you're interested only in loving people who are deserving, the reality is that you are not motivated by love for them, but by love for yourself. Love does its best work when the other person is undeserving. It is in these moments that love is most needed. It is in these moments that love is protective and preventive. It stays the course while refusing to quit or get down and get dirty and give way to things that are anything but Got three minutes. I want to drop a scripture on you. Go to the next scripture. And I pray that you wrestle with it this week. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36 out of the NIV says this. But to, but to you who are listening, I say, love your... Do good to those who... Bless those who, pray for those who, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them to the other also? If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them? Give to everyone who asks. And if if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as as you would have them do to you. 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those for whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be what, family? And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I feel right now you need to take a deep breath. Come on, breathe in. Breathe out. Let me just say this. Christ's call for our love of our enemies is not naive. We are not to read one portion of scripture in isolation from another. Consequently, what Jesus demands here does not, contradicts, does not contradict texts regarding punishment for criminals and self-defense. Jesus exhorts us to be wise as serpents when we deal with others. Seeking retribution against those who oppress the weak and defenseless is not unloving. 
Sometimes the only way we can love our enemies is to put them in a place where they will be hindered from doing more damage and incurring greater consequences for their sins. Jesus gives his well-known turn the other cheek. Anyone got any problems with that? Turning the other cheek? Here's what Jesus means. I'm going to end right here. This, is, this often has been wrongly interpreted to mean that a Christian should never defend himself against aggression. Neither does Jesus mean that we should never confront those who are in sin. He drove the merchandisers out of the temple. He strongly confronted the Pharisees in their hypocrisy. He rebuked his disciples when they were wrong. Biblical love does not mean being a doormat. I need to say that again. Love, biblical love, does not mean being a doormat. Turning the other cheek does not mean that a godly wife should silently endure physical abuse from an evil husband. She can and must confront his sin in a proper spirit. And if it continues, call the authorities that God has ordained for her protection. If someone is threatening your life or actually attempting to do harm to you, you must defend yourself and call the cops. So what does it mean to turn a cheek? Symbolically, to be hit on the right side of the cheek, a right-handed man would have to give a backhanded slap. What does that mean? Family, God desires to teach you how to deal with insults. I don't know about you, but it feels like this past year, I feel like I was being attacked with every single insult there was. And God taught me how to deal with insults. And he did it in two ways. I'm out of time. We'll just go there really quickly. Next slide. Everybody say insults. Is this you? Is this how you look when you... What's an insult? To be falsely accused or to speak despairingly, meaning to belittle the value or importance of someone or something, of a person in a manner not justified. Insults. To be what? Falsely accused or to speak despairingly of a person in a manner not justified. How do you deal with insults? Go to that next one and we're done. Two ways. Bless those who curse you. The word bless literally means to speak well. It carries the idea of speaking well of someone to others, avoiding the temptation to denigrate or or cause others to think ill of a person. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus not only expected his disciples to leave vengeance in the hand of God, He also called them to petition the Lord for mercy of the people who caused harm. Bless those. Pray for those. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. Neighbor. Come on, say neighbor. Neighbor. This week, week, your challenge is is to love your enemy.
You need to walk in tomorrow morning. Not when you walk into your cubicle, you need to say, God bless you. Have an awesome day. And you know, you know, you need anything? Can I get you some coffee or something? And then you, you just need to take it. And you, your enemy need to walk in. What is wrong? Are they bugging right now? Yo, what's going on? You need to completely, you know, just destroy any expectation. Yo, they're gonna come in. I'm gonna get at them. They're gonna get back at me. You know what? You bless them. You do, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, do the unexpected to your enemies this week. Love them unexpectedly. Because in the end, God will use you to turn their heart. Family, bow your head and close your eyes. And right now, just begin to talk to God. Come on, family, just begin to talk to him. God, we thank you for this theme of love for this month. God, we thank you for the value that love puts, the, 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 the value of love, the importance of love, and that you desire that love. Give us a course correction this week, the love from you, we're of you. We're born. We thank you for, your, for dying on a cross so that we can be loved by you. We're grateful for your love. Now allow us to be the example of your love to others. We pray for that family member who's like an enemy right now. We pray maybe for that sibling or or somebody in our neighborhood, that neighbor. We pray for that person who gets on our last nerves on our job. We, uh, for the young, we, we, we pray for that person who's just hating on us in school or when, we, when we're, we're just on a bus, God, and we see that person continually. God, give us a different perspective, your perspective on that. Let us love them unexpectedly. But we recognize we can't do it on our own. We need your help. And so we're open right now to do what you called us to do and love. Love you and honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Do me a favor. Can you just give 25 people a high five really quickly? Come on. Come on, as you're giving a high five and a hug, come on, somebody, we're going to love this week. Come on, tell them you're going to love somebody this week. We're going to show the agape God kind of love this week. Family, get your Bibles in hand. Repeat after me. Say, this is. This is oh, say, this Bible, this Bible is our primary source of faith. Source of faith. This, Bible this Bible is our rule of conduct. Rule of conduct. This, Bible this Bible creates the lens that we see life through. Say it loud, say it proud. As we leave this place, whenever God's presence, say it loud, say it proud. Jesus is Lord. We believe it, we, and we're. God bless you.